How's everyone doing? Doing good? Okay, we're in John chapter 10. As we move forward, we need to look backward and remember where we are, because sometimes the chapter breaks can interrupt the continuity of what's taking place. And really, since chapter 8, we've been in a, a dialogue with Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Uh, last week, we talked about that dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees concerning the man who was blind, who's regained his sight. Jesus healed him on the Sabbath, the conflict that that developed, and he talked about their spiritual blindness and how they were unable to see. And because they said that they still see, they remained in their condition. They were in their sin because they claimed to see, and so their guilt remains. And that's the context of chapter 10. As we move forward, there is still this dialogue with the Pharisees. In fact, in verse 1 he says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice." But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And so we see the conversation is directed really at the Pharisees at this point. And, and that's important because of the content that is there. If we don't keep that understanding that he is talking or dialoguing with the Pharisees, then we can go off tangent with some of the things that he's saying. So he's talking to the religious leaders, and he starts to give them this figure of speech, this illustration, but they're not able to track with him. Now, this illustration that he gives of a shepherd is one that was well known in Israel. There were and still are shepherds. And the role of a shepherd was something that has been used throughout Scripture. In fact, the Old Testament, we know Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. There is this understanding of, of what it is. In Psalm 95, verse 7, it says, He is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And so throughout Scripture, there is this illustration of a shepherd and sheep. A, a shepherd was someone who was constantly vigilant. Shepherd had to watch over the flock, had to stay awake because there were predators, other animals that were there. There were thieves who would come and steal the sheep, take them for their own sake. They had to be patient. They, they were actually concerned about the flock. Most of the time, it was a family's living, like David. 
David, who was the shepherd boy who watched over the sheep that belonged to his family. And so it was an important business. It was a family business. It was their livelihood, these animals. Now, unlike some of the other areas where the sheep were just used for food, sheep actually were used for wool most of the time. And then they would be offering on occasion for the holy days and things like that. But wool was probably the main uh, provision that the sheep provided for the family. So it wasn't like they just, okay, we're going to kill these animals and then, you know, move on. No, they would actually shear them and then they would go throughout the season, raise them, feed them, care for them, and then they would shear them again. So it was a constant replenishing uh, of provision for them. And so they actually became familiar with the sheep. You know, hey, there's old black ear, and oh, hey, there's old brown foot, whatever they would call them. You know, they, they would just name the sheep in that kind of manner because they were familiar with them. And so they got to know the sheep. You know, it's funny, when I train dogs, I get phone calls from the past clients that I had, and I don't remember the client's name so much, as, I, but I remember the dog, you know. It's like, oh, yeah, that was, you know, old brown nose, you know, whatever it was. And so you, you just start to remember the, the animals, and they were familiar with them. And so this is a picture and something that they're very familiar with. And it transcends now into the New Testament. And because it is a figure that they are familiar with, it's something that's natural for them to connect to. A shepherd is someone who cared for the sheep, protected the sheep. In 1 Peter 5.2, it says, Be shepherds over God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And so that figure it goes along now into the New Testament and has that same idea of a person who cares for, someone who guards over. You know, for us, it might be more of a, in a security way. You know, maybe it would be a police officer, a good policeman who cares over the city that he's in. You know, that kind of figure would be probably more in line where we're going. But here was something, again, that was even more personal because it was a family concern. And so this is the illustration that he gives. And as he does this, they are not quite able to figure it out. He's talking in this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Again, he is talking specifically to them in this context. And so he goes on and explains it a little further in verse 7. Therefore, because they didn't understand, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I... Am the gate for the sheep. And so he gave the illustration and now he's making the illustration clear. I am the gate for the sheep. And the gate for the sheep is something that they would understand because the sheep would be out grazing. 
They would be out in the field. There's not a lot of areas of, of flat land where they could graze. And so they'd be on hillsides and trying to find grass in different areas. And then at night they would try and get the sheep back into a, a little fold, a little pen, a little area where it was a little bit more secure. And they would have to go through the gate. And so Jesus is saying, I am the gate. And we'll talk about it a little bit more. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will not come in and go out and find pasture. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now let's talk about that for a little bit. Jesus says he's the gate, and all who have come before him are thieves and robbers. Jesus being the gate is talking about being the one who you go through to find security, to find safety. Ephesians 2.8 Paul writes, for through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. And so Jesus is the means by which we get through to find this security that we are looking for. All who come before me, who do you think he's referring to? When he says, all who come before me are thieves and robbers. What's that? Disciples? False teachers, right? He's talking to the Pharisees. Now, in in Palestine at that time, there was continually arising uh, people who promised if you followed them, they would bring you deliverance. They would lead them into this, you know, area of promise, this age of promise. And, And Josephus writes that at the very time that Christ is writing, there were about 10,000 disorders or people who were stirring problems up causing revolts in Jerusalem, 10,000 at that time, in that period. And so there were constantly people saying, yeah, follow me, we're going to bring deliverance from Rome, we're going to set Israel back on its right track to establish himself as a nation once again. You know that whenever there are societies, countries that are in turmoil or oppression, there is constantly revolt. People don't like being oppressed, and so they're always revolting. And so Jesus is saying, everyone who's come before me, everyone who's made a promise of deliverance before me, they're thieves and robbers. They're they're here to take. They're not here to give. And so he goes on, he says, they're thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. In other words, the people aren't following after them. But I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, the word saved has come to mean something very, uh, I think, different than what it was intended to mean in Jesus' time and throughout a lot of the epistles. We take it and mean, well, you're not going to hell. 
And so in James, people like Martin Luther would have a problem. In fact, Martin Luther didn't think that the book of James even belonged in the canon of Scripture because of that phrase, a faith with, show me your faith by, or show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And can works, uh, can faith without works save a person? And his idea of save a person was salvation. But as we went through James, I believe that that specific verse, save a person, is talking in context about helping a person with their needs. If your brother comes to you and is hungry and you have the means to feed him but you don't and you say, go away, be warm and be filled, how can that save him? How can that kind of faith help him out? And so it doesn't mean exclusively deliver to salvation. And we need to remember that because automatically our mind starts to to close in on other possibilities. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that, but it doesn't always mean just that. And here it's used in the way to bring protection. Whoever enters through me will find this security, will find this protection. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And the idea here is there is safety, there is peace, there is the absence of a threat. There is fulfillment, there is satisfaction. And so Jesus is talking about a life that he is able to lead us to. Not just an escape from hell, but a type of life that we're supposed to live. And that's why later he would say, you know, as we're going to read, that I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And then he says in verse 10, first, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Who is the thief? What? The Pharisees, those who were using people for their purposes. Those who are using things for their own gain. And you see, knowing the context keeps us in the right perspective here. So that when he says the thief, and he's talking about the robbers and those who are using people for themselves, it helps us to see things clearly. Because many times you'll see the thief comes and that's Satan. Well, it's not Satan here in context. What it is here in context are the people who are using people for their purposes. They come to use you for their own purposes, to to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. That they might go in and out, find pasture, that they might find security, fulfillment, that there might be safety there. And so this is what he's talking about. And he leads us further and he says, I am the good shepherd. Notice how many times he's going to use the word good. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, 
and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, the word that he uses for good here is a unique word. There's two words that are usually used for the word good. One is agathos, which simply means moral quality of a thing. And then there is the kalos, which means that it is in goodness or in quality, which makes it, in a sense, lovely. And Jesus is using the second person. He's not talking about just a moral quality here. He's talking something that when you behold it, it is lovely. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so now Jesus is talking about his heart for the sheep, his care. This is what he is for. This is what he cares for. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. The person you just hired is just in it for the money. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep, runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock, scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. And so now he brings a distinction between a shepherd and a person who's just in it for the money. A person who's just in it for the money goes away when the time gets tough. And he's talking again about this dynamic of a spiritual leader. How many people are in it for the money? How many shepherds, spiritual leaders, religious leaders are there because of what they can get out of it and don't really care for the people who are in it? I mean, we can see throughout our own history in the church how many people have been in that way? How many religious leaders get caught for fraud and all these other kinds of things? And you say, what's going on? Well, they're in it for the money. They're in it for what they can get out of it. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's prestige. Maybe it's power. What happens when that is gone? Well, if I don't have the recognition, then I'm going to leave as well. I'm just here for myself. And he's giving us that distinction. The good shepherd, the one who you look at and who's just lovely to behold, he's committed. He's there, not for his sake, but for the sheep. He knows the sheep and the sheep know him. There is an interaction there because they recognize his voice. And he lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus pointing out that there is a man who works only for the reward, thinks chiefly of the money. The man who works for love thinks mainly for the people that he is serving. And so the person who is working for the reward is working for themselves. The person who works for love is working for the people and is serving the people. As he talks about this and he gives this distinction, remember he is talking specifically to the religious leaders at that time and to the positions that they hold. He really is slamming the Pharisees at this point and also exposing 
his purpose, which is to give his life for the sheep, to actually care for them. And as he does this, he he talks about them. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. They shall be one flock and one shepherd. And so he is now widening his, his scope. Jesus is telling, and remember, John is letting us know throughout his gospel that Jesus is trying to reach the world, not just the children of Israel, but to everybody. And this exclusivity, I mean, we talked about it last Sunday, how inclusive God's gospel is. And so this exclusiveness is something that is... I don't know, it's so problematic. It seems to be something that we just gravitate to. Once a people or a section of people get an idea that they're specially privileged, it's very difficult for them to accept that the privileges which they think belong to them and only to them are in fact open to everybody. And we get that way in so many things. I mean, it's not just in the religious realm. We get that way with our sports teams, with the music. I remember one time there was Lauren, she was taking classical piano, and she said, classical music is the only good music. Because she was taking classical piano, and that's what she, it's the only good music. And then she found country or something. And then the boys, you know, they just wanted the, the thrashing, the hardcore music. And to them, that's the only good music. And they'd hear Lauren's music. Oh, shut that off. That's junk. Ah. You know, and there's such exclusivity even in the music that they like. And we get that way. And we get that way specifically in our religious beliefs. And the Pharisees were very much so. And so Jesus starts talking about other sheep that are going to also hear my voice. And they didn't understand with it. Remember, Israel was always meant to be a light to the nations. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That was the purpose. Salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus is saying, there's other sheep And they, too, are going to hear my voice. And so we're seeing, as Jesus is spelling this out, that he is trying to help them see who a real spiritual leader is. And a real spiritual leader is someone, or someone who is not a real spiritual leader, is someone without direct or legitimate access to the sheep. Someone who is not really ordained by God to be there. Jesus is the gate. He is the person. And others have tried to fill that position, but they can't. The person who seizes control of the sheep is a thief and a robber. The true leader belongs in that position, has legitimate access. That person is a leader simply for the reason that he has the followers. They recognize his voice. And when he says, they hear my voice, there is something that rings true when you hear it. 
When Jesus speaks, there is something that the people said, that makes sense. That rings true to me. Have you guys ever been there? You heard something and all of a sudden it just resonates with you. What they're saying just makes sense in your soul. And Jesus' words are resonating true. And so the people are hearing them and now they know the shepherd's voice. That makes sense. And we're going to see at the end, people say, how could this be? How can no one ever talked like this man talks? His words ring true to us. They make sense. They connect to my soul. We also see that the spiritual leader is recognized as that. First by the gatekeepers, those concerned for the safety of the followers. Then by the followers themselves, they know his voice. They recognize him as someone who cares for them. He's not a stranger who has to sell himself to them. He's not there to try and win them. He's actually there because he cares for them. He's not snowballing them, trying to make them follow him. He's actually legitimately concerned about them. The spiritual leader calls and leads the followers. When the shepherd would go out, many times he would go to a place and the sheep wouldn't know where to go to find the food because they're sheep. They're kind of dumb. And so he would have to go to a place where they would then see him and then he would call them. I don't know, here, sheep, 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 whatever he would say. They actually would call the sheep and have ways of making them known and it would be connected to their voice. And so they'd say, oh, he's over there. And then they would follow him and they'd go, oh, look it, there's food here. And so then they would eat because that's where the shepherd's at. And so they would follow him because they heard his voice. They recognized him as someone who cares for them. He's not the stranger. And as they follow him, he calls them. In fact, he knows them by name and leads them out of their area, their present knowledge, into a fuller understanding. This is what we know. Where should we go to get food? Oh, here's where we go. And you see Jesus saying the same thing is happening spiritually. You hear me, you resonate the truth with me, and I'm going to lead you into a deeper understanding of who God is, a deeper experience of what God provides into a fuller understanding of your experience with God. It will be found as you follow me. Well, our religion has to do with this and this and this and so I keep these rules and I follow this structure and I do these things and this is how I know God. It's, it's framed like this and Jesus says, no, if you hear my voice and follow me, it's going to lead you into a deeper and a living understanding. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. If you will follow after me, there will be a deeper understanding and experience of who God is. And so I'm leading them into this place, into the experience with God. The spiritual leader is the protection of the followers. He is the, the door. The shepherd would stay there at the gate. There would be a pen, it would be walled, and so it would help keep some of the predators out. And if they wanted to come in, they had to go through him as he slept there by the gate. 
He keeps them safe. No one is going to snatch them from his hand, he says later on in verse 28. He prevents the thieves and the users from coming in, those who just want their money, just wants their fame to be stroked, who just wants to use them. The spiritual leader is the good leader, the beautiful, the noble of character leader, the one who cares truly for them. The spiritual leader gives his followers life, abundant life, life to the full. And later on, he'll say again in verse 28, eternal life. The spiritual leader gives his life for his followers. Again, the hired hand watches the sheep for a paycheck. He doesn't care about the sheep or their safety. The leader Jesus describes here cares more for his followers than he does for himself. And the reason my father loves me, he says, is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And so Jesus is teaching us what a model leader is. The model leader, and this is revolutionary. In fact, it'd probably be more accurate to describe at this time as ludicrous or ridiculous. Jesus' model of a leader in their minds was just ridiculous. The person he called a leader, we would call a servant, an assistant, a valet. And Jesus says, this is who a leader is. If Jesus then is our spiritual leader, and he laid down his life for us, are we supposed to follow him in this way as well? Are we? Yeah, right? We are. This is how you lead. We have to lay down our lives as well. That, that's the point. He goes on, chapter 13, we'll see this even more, fur, we'll see this more fully. Our teacher and Lord set an example for us. This is the way we lead people, is by caring more for them than we do for ourselves. And that's why Paul would tell us in Philippians to esteem others as more important than ourselves, not have every man look for his own interests, but to look for the interests of others. Why? Because this is the example of a leader. This is a person who can actually be trusted and can lead other people. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another, 1 John 3.16. The life we lay down is the self-centered and the self-indulgent life. That's the life of a leader. One who's not self-centered, one who's not self-indulgent, but one who actually cares for the other people. 
And this is something that Jesus says, the reason the Father loves me is because this is what I do. Well, I thought God loved Jesus because of who he was. This is the reason the Father loves me, is because of what I do. What is he doing? He's giving himself for others. Hebrews says that though he were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. It's in this sacrifice that we see God's acceptance of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. It's in our sacrifice that we see the love of God manifested in us. It's in sacrifice that we see the miraculous take place. It's those people who give of themselves that God gives to. And we want the blessings of God, but we don't realize that the blessings of God come with this self-sacrifice. And it's because of this that Jesus says, the reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life. That's telling. Because Jesus cares more for others, God shines approval on him. That, again, is the example. And, of course, Jesus says only to take it up again. He has the power to take it up again. But this is the model of a leader. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Here Jesus is saying that this you're not going to take my life. I'm going to give it up. And that is seen throughout the Gospels. You know, there is a story of a soldier who lost his arm in battle. And after they had amputated his arm and he revived and they said, I'm, I'm sorry, you lost your arm. His response was, I didn't lose my arm. I gave it to my country. And see, that's the idea that Jesus is bringing about. I, I didn't lose my life. I, I gave it for a purpose. It's not just lost. I gave it. And there was something behind that because I have the authority to take it up again. And this command I received from my father. It's important that we recognize that even though we know all about Jesus, his love, his, his death, and his sacrifice for us, sometimes knowing it doesn't move us. Just knowing the information doesn't change us. It doesn't seem big enough to help us deal with real-life issues. You know, it's easier to gossip than it is to pray. It's easier to argue doctrine than it is to read your Bible and have devotions with God. And every day is the same chores and frustrations and that tie us up in knots and our circumstances you know can take us to places where we just go south we get angry with God about so many things and we ask God why don't you fix this you know if you were to do this you know why would you allow me to go through this I just read a blog from my friend who I've shared with you a few times who lost his son uh, nine months ago and he's got this journal that's just been go ongoing. And he shared today that 
five people have contacted him, left him, you know, comments or sent him emails and telling how his blog has actually saved their lives. You know, that there was one uh, young man who was in the hospital and when he read about how much this event hurt him losing his son and how he talked about his son why didn't you know what you meant to me that this young man thought I, I guess I do mean something to someone else and so his story has actually as much pain as it's been actually helped these other people who have been in pain and he didn't he said I'd never intended I was just writing for my own therapy I had never had the intention of this writing to go to this length where it actually saved people's lives and as he recognized this it was overwhelming for him he said I still miss my son I think of him every moment of every day but this has produced something good sometimes our lives we we don't see we don't understand and every now and then, God has to kind of reboot our hearts. You know how it is when your cell phone, it's like, man, it's running real slow, or your computer, it's like it's just lagging. What, have you restarted it? Oh, no, and you restart it, and hey, it works again. Sometimes God has to do that with us. We get in this rut, and we're living this life, and we don't recognize that it's not about us. And it's not about all the things going our way. And God, why don't you do this? Sometimes we have to slow our down, ourselves down enough to just force a moment and pause and think about what Jesus actually did for us. And what it means when he laid his life down. To return to that place and relive the life that Jesus endured for our sake. To to meditate on what he went through in the garden, on the cross, and the fact that he chose to take that path for us, for the sheep, that he hasn't abandoned us, that he never will abandon us. He, he's paid too much for us to ever abandon us. And sometimes we have to stop because we know that intellectually, but we don't, it doesn't grip us the way it needs to at times. And sometimes we have to pause and allow it to take hold of us. In Isaiah 49, verse 14 to 16, it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. This is the heart of a leader. This is the heart of the true, the good, the beautiful shepherd. The one who is lovely to look at. The one who leads us to life. The one who brings us into safety. So that we can go in and out of pasture. That we have freedom to live without the fear of a predator or someone taking advantage of us. Because he has brought this to us. That the God who has come to us in Jesus is worthy of our praise, of our love. 
and of our trust that this is the leader, this is the good shepherd, this is the one who has given himself for us. And as he talks about this, this is a very endearing passage. As he talks about this idea of a shepherd, it's something that's personal. It's something that is familial. It has the family tied to it. It's something that is involved with. The whole picture of the shepherd and this illustration that he gives is saying, I'm here. I'm going to watch out for you. I'm going to protect you so much so that I'll give my life for you. And it's also a model. If we're going to be people who are identified with Jesus, then these are the kind of people we need to be, especially if we're going to take a position of leadership. These are the kind of leaders that we need to be. And it's humbling. And it's moving. And it's touching. Because he chose this path. It was the choice he made for our sake. And it's telling and it's endearing. Verse 19 says, The Jews who heard these words again were divided. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Now, can you imagine after hearing this to say he's demon-possessed and raving lunatic? But then others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so we see this connection all the way to chapter 9 where Jesus healed this man. And they said, these aren't the words of a man who's possessed. Besides, a man possessed cannot open the eyes of the blind. What is he saying? A man possessed cannot, would not care for people the way this man cares. A man possessed would not love the way this man loves. A man possessed would not show the care and concern that this man shows. And it's amazing that there is such division that's taking place. And that's why Jesus would say, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. See, people who believe in me, that's going to divide. Because some people can't stand it, and some people are going to say, man, I can't resist it. I cannot resist this kind of love. But that's what they can't resist, is the love. Not the arrogance. Not the harshness. Not the things that so many people find offensive in those who, in the name of Jesus, act in a way that's not like the good shepherd. Not giving of themselves. I, I wonder how many pulpits would be empty if it wasn't for the perks. You know, I've shared this before. It's amazing, or it's been amazing to me, how many people are led by God to places where there's more money. No one's ever led to a place of less money. God's leading me. Why? Well, what's the... There's a pay raise. Oh, I guess God's leading you. Why? Because you're getting more money. That must be where God's at. How many people? Well, yeah, there's less money here, but I think that's really where God wants me because I can be of service to these people. Who does that? Why is that so unusual to imagine in our society? But 
again, I wonder how many people would be in the pulpit if the perks of the money wasn't there. Or would they say, yeah, I don't want to do that. It's no benefit to me. And then when things do get difficult, what is the response? Usually it's to blast the people, right? The building, you know, we, we need money. Otherwise we can't keep the thing running. How many televangelists? If you don't give, you know, and the pastors start blaming the people, man, we're not going to keep the lights on. We're not going to keep the air conditioner if you don't give money, you know. It's all about the money. And all of a sudden, wow, what's going on here? Anyway, any thoughts or questions on this passage that we've read up to 21? And remember, his style of leadership does not make sense to them. What he's asking of them is foreign. To lay down your life, we're here to be esteemed. And he's doing the opposite. So it's crazy to them. What he's asking of them is crazy. But you're right, they're threatened, definitely. Any other thoughts, questions, or something that struck you as we went through this passage? Nope. Okay, then. Well, let's pray. Father, we see so much of your heart and character in these verses that we've read. We see how you are the good shepherd. And how your voice rings true in our hearts. Lord, that what you have done rings true to us, that you really do care. And in fact, Father has shown his approval on you because you gave your life. And Lord, that is a model for us. Greater love has no one than this. And so we thank you for this example. And it's a frightening example because now these are the steps that we are to walk in and to emulate. This is how we too are supposed to live if we care. And Lord, I, I, I was struck as a pastor and being in a position of leadership, of how I need to be and the qualities that I am supposed to have and walk in. And Lord, I I do see my deficiencies and my inabilities. And so I need to pause and again, re-examine who you are and what that means to me and what I am supposed to be to the people around me. And Lord, we all are called to this area of leadership in varying degrees. We are all called to serve. We are all called to give of ourselves and not be self-indulgent, self-consumed people. And so God help us to recognize when we are and to recognize the that life, Lord, is a pharisaical life. And it really is the life that is absent of joy. It's absent of peace. It's absent of love. Lord, we need to stay near to you and the things that you've shown us. And I pray we would do so. We ask you to bless our efforts in your name, Jesus.
Amen.